0: If you've got your Bible with you this morning, it'd be great to open it back to Genesis chapter 13, where we've just read from. We're going to have a prayer uh, and then we'll look at that passage. Let's pray. Dear Father, we ask this morning that you would give us humble hearts before your word. We ask that you would give us hearts that are open and receptive. We pray that you would help us to hear to believe, and to obey. Lord, we pray as we think again about your great promises that you would strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis 13, hopefully some of the younger ones have a a kid's sheet. Now would be the time to crack on and and work through that. Uh, There's a verse in Hebrews uh, that says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That verse tells us, doesn't it, that faith is really, really, really important. Uh, But what does faith look like? That's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. What does faith look like? Last week, we set off on this journey with this man, Abraham. Uh, Abraham is traveling. And in the Bible, Abraham is held up as a great example of faith. And we saw last week that Abraham is a pilgrim. He's a man who's traveling through a strange land and he's, and he's looking for home. And the reason that Abraham's a pilgrim uh, is because uh, he's heard God's promises. God's promises have made him a pilgrim. And we looked at those promises last week and we saw there were three words to sum up those promises. The first word was blessing. God has promised to bless Abraham. Abraham's going to live in a rich relationship with God and God's smile is going to be upon him. And also through Abraham, uh, God is going to bring blessing to his world. We saw that in verse 3 of chapter 12, that all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through Abraham. The second word to describe the promise was land. God's going to give Abraham a land, a land of his own, a land uh, that he can call home. And the third uh, word was offspring, offspring. Abraham's going to have lots and lots and lots of children, a huge family. In fact, there's going to be so many, they're going to be called a great nation. So blessing, land, and offspring, children. And we saw last week that the scope of these promises is is very grand. These promises stretch all the way to Jesus. Uh, That's where they point us to. They lead all the way to the new creation, a world where there's going to be no more curse. Uh, And they remind us of a great multitude that's gathered around Jesus from every tribe, tongue, and and nation. And Abraham's called to trust these promises. And where we left Abraham last week at the end of chapter 12 was that his his faith was shaky. (laughs) He had shaky faith. Uh, So the promise had come, uh, and then also the famine had come and the famine made Abraham's future look uncertain and he kept uncertain and he lost uh, sight of God's promise uh, and he began to trust himself and he set off down to Egypt and he was scheming and uh, doing all sorts of things that were far from godly uh, and he ended up stuck in Egypt and God came to his rescue uh, and brought him Uh, uh, rescued him from Egypt because we saw last week that God is always faithful even when our, our faith is shaky. And at the beginning of chapter 13 in Genesis, we see Abraham turning back to the promise, turning back to the promise. That's verses one to four. When our faith wavers and we wander into sin, we must turn back to God and his promises. So verse one, So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. So here's a 180 degree turn. Abraham's headed this way down to Egypt. He turns all the way back around and he traces his steps back through the Negev back into the land of of Canaan. And Abraham, as he journeys back, you can see he's become very rich. So verse two, he's got lots of silver and gold and loads of livestock And Abram's traveling out of Egypt back to the land of Canaan, again continues to foreshadow uh, the great exodus. Remember what happened in the exodus? The plagues come, the pharaoh sends them away, and as they leave, they leave with great wealth. And here Abram is a a foreshadow of that. Uh, Verse 2, Abram had become wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. And Abram's turning back isn't just about geography and places Abraham's turning back is, is theological. He's turning back to, the, to Canaan because he's turning back to God and his promises. And that's clear from verse 3 and 4. From the Negev, he went, back from, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham's gone from Egypt all the way back to where he was at the start, back to where he'd first built the altar, back to where he'd first worshipped and called on the name of the Lord. He'd done what he thought was best. He would trusted himself. He'd gone his own way, and now he's turning back uh, to God and his promises. And in the Bible, there's a word for this kind of action, isn't there? Uh, the word is repentance. When someone turns back to God like this, they Uh, repent. And we're like Abraham sometimes, aren't we? When we face difficulties, uh, when we face temptations, we often trust ourselves. We we trust our own resources. We try and uh, look after number one. We take our eyes off the the promises of God and the future that he's secured for us, uh, and we try to go our own way. The promises that we have in the gospel are the promise of forgiveness, the promise of, of blessing, uh, the promise of a place in God's family, of, of peace with God, of his constant fatherly care, the hope of the resurrection. And when we take our eyes off these promises, we, we always begin to act foolishly and sinfully. We grasp for control. Picture the, the man who's flying on an aeroplane. When the journey is nice and smooth, he finds it very easy to trust the pilot when he hits some turbulence uh, and the plane starts to shake, he may wonder if the pilot knows what he's doing. <laughs> As the plane starts to shake more, he may be tempted to, to run into the cockpit and grasp hold of the controls. And we can be just like that sometimes. When we take our eyes off God's promise, we begin to be driven by all sorts of things, often fear. Fear of loss, fear of the future, fear of what others Would think, and the call for us is to repent, to turn back to God and His great promises. That's what really glorifies God when we trust Him, when we put our confidence in Him, and that's what we see Abraham here doing uh, at the start of chapter 13. He turns back to the promise, and then in verses 5 uh, to 13, we see him trusting the promise. Trusting the promise. We asked at the start, what does it look like? What does faith look like? And Abraham gives us a great illustration in these verses of what it looks like to trust God's promise. Here, Abraham faces another test in verses five to seven. The test is not a famine. It's kind of the opposite of a famine. It's his wealth. His wealth uh, is so great that there's not enough room for him in the land. In fact, the same word that's used to to describe the famine in chapter 12 is also used to describe Abraham's wealth in chapter 13. The famine is described as severe, uh, and Abraham's wealth is is great, but those two words are the same. The famine's severe, uh, and Abraham is severely rich, uh, and his riches are causing him problems. Often, more money equals more problems, and that's what Abraham is finding out here. Let me read, now Lot who was moving about with Abraham also had flocks and herds and tents but the land could not support them while they stayed together for their possessions were so great they were not able to stay together. There simply isn't enough space and to make matters worse Abraham and Lot are newcomers in the land that the Perizzites and the Canaanites are already there and as can often happen with family businesses, arguments begin There begins to be strife. You can imagine it, can't you? Abraham's head cowman pitches up uh, to the piece of pasture land that he'd identified the day before as good land, only to find that it's full of Lot's sheep. (laughs) And not only that, they've they've emptied the watering hole and there's no water left uh, for the cows. Or maybe uh, Lot's shepherds, when they go home and they give the weekly report to Lot, they're continually complaining uh, that Abraham's cows are everywhere. There's just no space and and it's not long before tempers flare and very soon it seems there's the beginning of a family feud. In chapter 12 the problem is there's not enough. In chapter 13 uh, the problem is there's, there's too much. In chapter 12 the problem is famine. In chapter 13 the problem is family. And these are not easy problems are they? What would it look like for Abraham. Let's see, first of all, what what Abraham does. He says to Lot, verse 8, Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. What would it look like for Abraham if he wasn't trusting God's promise? Remember, God had promised to give him the land. God was going to do it. I will uh, give you the land. If Abraham didn't trust that, what would he be tempted to do now uh, when there's this family strife? He might have thought, if I'm not careful here, I'm going to get squeezed out of this land. If I'm not careful, uh, a lot is going to push me out. And what God promised me, I'm going to lose. Or maybe he was tempted to pull rank. Come on, I'm the uncle, Lot. You're the nephew. I'm the one with the promises. Lot, you're going to have to go somewhere else. But here we see Abraham, is trusting God's promises because he doesn't do that. His actions aren't based on a fear of loss. His actions aren't based on greed. His actions are generous, aren't they? A sacrificial generosity. At this point where Lot and Abram have stood uh, between Bethel and Ahi is quite, quite high. It's probably about the height of Ingleborough. Uh, and I, I'm told that you get a great view. Uh, and and Abram says to Lot, look around you, choose, you choose. <laughs> if you choose that land, I'll, I'll go over there. If you choose that land, I'll go over there. He's generous because he trusts the promises. He knows whatever happens, God will give him the land and so that frees him up to be generous and gracious he knows that promise doesn't depend on his greedy grasping what about us are we trusting God's promise when we trust God's promise we see here it changes us it changes us in all sorts of ways I just want to take the example that we find here of material possessions How does trusting the promise change our attitude to our material possessions, our stuff, and our money? That can cause uh, a lot of strife, can't it? It can cause a lot of anxiety, our money and our stuff, particularly within families. But if we're trusting God's promise, how will that affect our material possessions? In Romans, uh, Paul describes these promises to Abraham in these terms. He says that Abraham and his offspring would inherit the world. The world. And in Christ, we share in that promise. In Christ, we will inherit the world. If we really believe that that's the end, that that's what we're moving to, that's what God's promised us, that in the end, we will inherit the world, that means we won't have to grab for ourselves, doesn't it? It means we can be uh, generous with our stuff and we won't have to be greedy. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is teaching his disciples about anxiety, anxiety about stuff, material possessions, the very basic material possessions like food and clothing. And Jesus says this. He says, don't be anxious about those things. Your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom first and all these things will be added to you. And then he says to his disciples, fear not, little flock for it's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom sell your possessions give to the needy can you see the dynamic of those verses in genesis it's the father's good pleasure to give you your ki- give you the kingdom so don't hoard your stuff <laughs> consider the needs of others maybe we can think back to the last time we found it hard to be generous Maybe the last time we were tempted to to hold on to our stuff. Or maybe for the children, the last time you found it hard to share. Or when you grabbed something for yourself first. What what were you thinking in that moment? When we fail to trust God's promises, we act greedily and we put ourselves first. But when we recognize that God has promised to provide all of our needs, in fact, we will inherit the earth. That frees us to be generous. As I uh, was thinking about Abraham here and his generosity to Lot and how he just says, you choose, I-, I was reminded of some verses from John's gospel from Jesus on the night before he died. He's gathered with his disciples in the upper room. Uh, they sit down for the meal and then you know there's no one to wash, wash feet. And then Jesus, it says these words of Jesus says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Can you see what fueled Jesus' actions? He knew that he'd come from God. He knew that he was going back to God, and he knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. And so that frees him up to humbly, graciously, generously wash his disciples' feet. And when we are trusting God's promise, when we're sure of what God has promised to give us, we too will be able to act with that same kind of gracious generosity. That's Abraham, he's a great illustration of what it means uh, to trust the promise. And then there's Lot. Uh, Lot provides, I think, a great contrast to Abraham. Abraham gives Lot the choice of the land. And how does Lot decide where he's going to live? Verse 10, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zohar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Can you see how Lot makes his choice? Lot makes his choice based on what he can see. Land sounds really great, doesn't it? Like the garden of the Lord. It's like Egypt, the place where they've just been living, where there was lots of food. And in many ways, Lot's decision is really understandable, isn't it? If you were offered the choice between a one-bedroom flat and a six-bedroom country house, which would you go for? The, the country house. So it's, it's understandable in some ways. But there are several points in these verses that show us that Lot's choice is not a good choice. It's not the right choice because he's choosing just simply according to what he can see. The first pointer is that Lot pitches his tent right on the edge of the promised land. He moves out to the periphery of the land that God has promised. The second uh, pointer is that he goes east He journey's east, you may wonder what's wrong with traveling east. Well, in Genesis so far, traveling east has not been a good direction to travel. When Adam and Eve are are sent out from the garden, when God drives them out from the garden, he drives them out eastward. When Cain is judged by God, uh, he travels east. The Tower of Babel, uh, that great monument of rebellion against God, is built in the east. And here Lot travels east. He also parts company with Abraham. And Abraham, we know, is is the one who God is going to bless. And it's through Abraham that the whole world's going to be blessed. And then most obviously, in verses 10 and verse 13, uh, we get this mention of Sodom. Verse 10 mentions that God is going to destroy Sodom. Verse 12, Lot pitches his tent near Sodom. And then in verse 13, it says, Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly, against the Lord. There's a lot more more to come in the Lot story uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, But what we see here is Lot's decisions are driven by what he can see and he makes wrong decisions. It's the same kind of thing that we see in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve when they eat from the tree. So it says of them, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that the tree was a delight to the eyes, she took of its fruit and she ate some of it and gave it to her husband who was with her. If we just simply live by what we can see, we're going to live in sin. The book of Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. That's the continual temptation we face, isn't it? To live according to what we can see, to make uh, judgments based on our own understanding. But we're to live with our eyes fixed on God's promises. These, uh, the book of Genesis isn't actually written by Abraham. The book of Genesis is written by Moses, a lot of years after Abraham. Uh, and it's written by Moses for the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, Traveling to the Promised Land, and their constant temptation, wasn't it? Was to live according to their own sight. So they're in the desert. There's no water. There's no. There's no food. God is trying to kill us. They say. Or, or when God's, uh, when they get near the Promised Land and they send the spies in. There's giants in the land. We'll we'll never be able to take it. We must not live according to what we can see, but according to God's promise. And God's promises are good and grand and gracious. So that's trusting the promise. And then the final verses of chapter 13, verse 14 to 18, is God reaffirming the promise. God reaffirming the promise. After Abraham expresses his faith in the promise, God comes to him and repeats the promise to him. He gets a bit more detail. Lot leaves to go to to pitch his tent near Sodom. And then in verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham, Look around you from where you are to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. All the land that you will see, I give to you and your offspring forever. So now Abraham gets the glorious 360 panoramic view, and he's called to look at the view through God's promise. Everything you see, Abraham, I'm going to give it to you. And then the promise of the offspring, verse 16, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth So if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Maybe you've sat by a window on a a sunny day when the sunbeams have been coming in through the window and you've seen the little dust particles floating around, um, thousands of them. That's just the dust in your, your lounge. What about the dust of the earth? Absolutely uncountable. And God says to Abraham, so will your offspring be. Abraham's going to have an uncountable number of children. Then in verse 17, Abraham's called to a viewing of the property. He inspects the land. He walks up and down it. And then he builds an altar to the Lord again and worships. Worship at the start of the chapter. Worship at the end of the chapter. Abraham is trusting God. And as we close, I want to read some verses from Hebrews that will help us see the hope that Abram had. And we'll see that Abram's hope is also the same hope that we share. And as we listen to these verses, uh, I want you to listen to them and, and just remember that these are God's promise to us as well. This is the future that God is preparing for us. It says in Hebrews of all the great uh, men and women of faith, it said, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them And greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. And listen to this. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. That's a that's a great hope, isn't it? That's where, where we're heading as we keep looking to Jesus, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, uh, and a world made new where we will live with our God uh, forever. And we're going to sing. Well, we're not going to sing. Sorry, that's a habit I've got. We're going to have sung to us a song uh, that speaks to us uh, of these promises. By faith we see The hand of God. Let's enjoy uh, these words and then we'll have a prayer and then we'll, we'll close.